Hello, and welcome to the Take It in Stride podcast. I am your host, Adrian Jezik. Here we talk about the things that make us uncomfortable, the things that make us feel vulnerable, and the discomfort that is required for personal growth. I have a special guest here with me today, Kuba. Will you pronounce your last name for me, please? A beautiful name, beautiful person. I've met you over the cold several times. And each time we've been in a position where I am coaching and there isn't that time immediately after to connect with you about your experience. But I know that every experience you have had with me has been profound. And so I want to unpack that today when I digest that. And I want to start by asking, how many times have you taken a cold plunge? I think at this point, um, we've done it twice together. And then once informally where I visited the space uh, at Burning Man. And it was a little bit warmer that time because Mm -hmm. it had been left open for the community. And so uh, the temperature was a little bit warmer. Mm -hmm. We also had quite a bit of activity. So it was was definitely interesting to learn some of the challenges of our machines when you have 50 plus people running through it in a day. And that's, uh, that's a challenge, but it was, it was still good that you had that opportunity there. It was a, well, first I just wanted to say thank you for inviting me on and uh, giving me an opportunity to speak with you. I hope that our conversation is useful for others who have questions or who can identify um, or maybe, you know, open the door for them to have a new experience. You're right in qualifying my experiences with uh, the cold as being profound. It was was great. It was great. And so anything I can do to, you know, share that message is... uh, welcome. I think that that's part of what makes me want to share it with the masses is because for one thing, I don't feel any two experiences are alike. Even, even though I'm a regular practiced cold water immersion enthusiast, I still don't have any two experiences that are completely alike. I think part of that is because the cold has a, has a way of seeking out the areas it needs to heal. But I also think we're working on different parts of our practice through that cold water immersion. So how would you describe your first cold water immersion coaching experience with me? What was, what do you remember about that? So I think first it's important to set the, context for that first uh, immersion. Please do. So I was at my first burn in 2019 uh, this year, and that was an event that was a milestone for me in terms of personal exploration and having a self-defined objective that was deeply meaningful for me and not tied to my contracts with anyone else. I really wanted to do that for a very long time. And organically, an opportunity presented itself um, to go with uh, some of my good friends um, from Arcasanti and be a part of their village. And unbeknownst to me, um, one one of the uh, folks from the village had already spoken with with you guys, and you were set up uh, in the back of the Burners Without Borders camp, mm-hmm. and. He just said, you know, Kuba, I have a mission for you. I need you to be at this place 
you know, at, at 3.30 or 4.30 or whatever it was. And so I didn't know what I was doing or what I was getting into until I was outside this steel storage container where you guys had set up the forge. And uh, Wait a minute. You had no prior knowledge of why you were going to, to this right. place. Yeah, I was just being sent on a mission by, by the village mayor nice. to go be somewhere to do a thing, right? Um, and, and, and so I, I, there was this, there was this aura of, of, uh, you know, meaningful there, there was, there was a sense that I was going to go do something special, but with that whole, there's going to be a surprise involved in this. Maybe it's going to be arduous. Maybe it's something that's just for me. I had no idea what I was walking into. And so, um, so yeah, so that's so that sets the context, right? So to any one of listening who's potentially been to Burning Man knows that it is in and of itself an extra dimensional, very hard to describe experience, right? You could describe the parts and not see the whole. And to your point about no two experiences being identical, uh it's a great it's this great prismatic, you know chunk of the human experience right and we're very privileged to be able to have that opportunity and so i was already in that space of this is my first burn and in many ways uh my experience was already a peak experience right Con compounding on itself in this exponential fashion um i should note that i don't partake in mind-altering substances and so it wasn't that i was in some other uh place biochemically or, or neurochemically or something, but I was having a peak experience nonetheless. Mm -hmm. It's um, hard. It's hard to tell. I think whether, whether you're even on anything, cause it's such a trippy experience. Sure. Yeah. Right. It bends, it bends all the conventions. Mm -hmm. And so not to get too sidetracked, just to bring it back, that sets the context for how I found myself um, meeting you. And I had mm -hmm. expressed interest in, you know, uh, doing an ice bath at some point in the past, which is why, uh, why my friend brought this up. Right. And well, I think he arranged some kind of side thing with you guys to make that opportunity available. So, so I showed up and, and there you are looking very much like a shaman, a shamanic figure. <laughs> Jason is standing with his eyes, uh, with his hands crossed, you know, against the back wall. Also very, um, formal, somber, Right, the the space is dark. There's no light in there except this like open cargo container door. So even there, it's a very different experience from uh, what would traditionally, I think, happen in your in your immersive uh, workshops. And uh, yeah, so I think that's a good pause there, right? So that's how I arrived in the in the moment. Um, obviously, I stripped down, and you were extraordinarily grounded um most first worlders in 2019 are lost amidst information overload personal hijinks overloaded ram past present and future competing for our attention we spend most of our time just i'll speak for myself i spend most of my time lost in thought Right, mm -hmm. which is why mindfulness practice is essential for me, and and, and is part of my self care ritual. Um, going back a couple of years, which is one of the reasons why I choose to be sober. It's it it all is this quest to maintain some some anchor in a world that is changing faster than it knows 
how to cope, right? Mm -hmm. Or or maybe my world is changing faster than I naturally know how to cope with. So so immediately I was just there was a stillness there. There's a stillness to you, there's a stillness to the water, there's a stillness to the space, and I was already in that like this is a serious surprise, right? This is a I I approached it as one would an initiation ritual in some you know, mystery school, right? It was like ceremonious. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely an element of ceremony to it. And, mm-hmm. and I, I love some good, you know, um, some ceremony. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate it, especially if it's not rooted in exploitive dogma or all, all of the, <laughs> you know, rituals that some of which are just not that great, right? right? That we find ourselves trying to break free from. Right. Um, yeah. And so you said, here you are, mm-hmm. you know, start, start, uh, being aware of your breath, be present. And when you're ready, step into the water, right. Mm-hmm. With conviction and then sit down. Mm-hmm. You didn't say sit your ass down, but that's, that's kind of what I, in my mind, I was like, okay. I mean business. And I wasn't, so, so here's the weird part. The second time I was aware of what I would, what I would experience, but the first time I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I'm actually a person who by nature hates being cold. I get cold easily. I don't like being cold. You know, uh, I was coached by my mom to never get too cold because you'll catch a cold. That's yeah. sort of a European fiction that if you're allowed, if you're exposed to cold, you'll somehow compromise don't your immune system. Don't go outside with a wet head. You'll catch your death. Yes. yes. Very much, you know, an ongoing thing. I had a grandfather who died from pneumonia, but really he died from a life of hard drinking. So <laughs> it, it's it's. uh it was always something that was something to be feared. And I think that that was one of the things I shared with you that may have sparked our, our sort of ongoing conversation around this. And you're right. We've never really formally sat and unpacked the experience. So this, this should be a treat. It's a great time to do that. And I think that it's an experience worthy of unpacking. It's an experience worthy of saying what was what happened to you? When you chose this path, what happened to you? Because you think of it and you think, oh, two minutes, 32 degrees. There are a couple of thought processes for me. I'm thinking, you got to be crazy. I can't sit and freeze in water for two minutes. And then there's another thought process of, yeah, I hate the cold. I used, I grew up in Florida. I've lived in Arizona. Like anything below 70, I'm just angry. And once you develop that practice or once you've done it once, you've done it twice, you can look at it and go, I am so powerful. I can sit and breathe through two minutes in 32 degree water or 35 or, you know, even at your next plunge that time, probably closer a little bit to 40, 45. Um, but that in and of itself unpacks you. Yeah. So, so the, the first experience was as profound for me as it was. If, if I had to go and find a reason for it, right, besides all of the medical reasons why it changes your mind, right, <laughs> um, was that it was this conscious decision to face a fear mm-hmm. and then endure a fear. Mm-hmm. And then you have the physiological experience of, I described it to to other friends as, your brain tells you you're going to die if you don't do something radical about this. And then you make a conscious choice to accept that message from your brain and then carry on doing what you're doing. Wow. And then the brain kind of stops, right? So, so, so it's, hey, 
you are now in a life-threatening condition, so I'm going to respond in all of the ways that I would to keep you from dying. And then so you have this, at least for me, that's the way I chose to contextualize that first experience, an encounter with like impending doom. All of the signals of fear and anxiety and discomfort all came washing in. And and I was able, of course, as as somebody who has mindfulness practice, realize that like if if I return to the breath as you coached me, right? Mm-hmm. And and I'm conscious of the breath and I hang on to that, then all of these are just things that I could be attached to or not attached to. Right. right. I'm reminded, and I'm certainly not comparing myself to this or, or, or the process to this, but I'm reminded of the Rage Against the Machine cover of the Immolating Monk, right? And the people who choose to do that. And and as a teenager, I was fascinated by what is the strength of character or what is the mindset of someone who can sit calmly and burn to death? Mm-hmm. What What kind of excruciating pain are they in? And then what is the level of mental fortitude or what do you want to call it or disassociation i mean depends on how you want to label it right Mm -hmm. but how are they able to endure that experience right and so for me as someone who has a healthy fear of being doused in gasoline and has no you know suicidal tendencies uh i still live life mitigating risk avoiding being burned alive avoiding being cold avoiding being stressed avoiding discomfort right and 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 facing that fear and being able to overcome it was a real milestone for me personally. It, it it showed me that I have come a really long way in my practice. That that yes, I'm capable of facing my body and mind and nervous system telling me that it's the end and we have to do something. And then saying, no, I accept this. And then, of course, you receive the... The calm reward. and the benefits. Right. When your brain goes, okay, well, I guess you're ready to die. No mm-hmm. problem. Here's mm-hmm. the, here's the, you know, here's dessert. <laughs> here's dessert. That might be one of the greatest ways I've heard it described. And the reason that that makes a lot of sense to me is because there's such a parallel to that that moment, right? And so Scott Carney in his book, What Doesn't Kill Us Makes Us Stronger, and I'm pretty sure I've talked about this in every podcast episode that I have hosted, um, he calls it the wedge. And it's that space between what is happening and your emotional response to it. So when you breathe through that traumatic, hyperventilative, sitting in the freezing cold response, what you're doing is driving a wedge between your fight or flight response and your emotional response to it. So yes, you become stronger than your body's existential death. You become stronger than even your own will to live because supposedly with your will to live and your fight or flight, you're going to leap right out of that water. And I've seen people do it leap right out of that water and then look at me and go, wait, wait, I don't know what just happened. I was in the water. I'm out of the water. I don't understand. And that's what the body's designed to do. So when you don't listen to the body, you don't listen to that physical response of adrenaline, of cortisol, of all of those chemicals rushing through your body saying, get out, do this, you will die. You find a way not only to sit in that space in between, but I believe you find a way to make peace with pain. And one of the ways that I can say that that is absolutely true 
and it seems so banal, but think of a mosquito bite, right? I grew up in Florida. I've seen mosquitoes bigger than my head. I don't get bit here in Arizona. I don't get bit in Florida. I don't get bit by mosquitoes. I am impervious to mosquitoes. Well, we had a really, really wet winter this last winter, and there's this whole influx of this different kind of mosquito species. They're tiny. You can barely see them. They're quick. They're vicious. They come back for more. And I'm getting bit for the first time I've lived here 15 years. And all of a sudden I'm getting bit. Well, I've cut out all of my medications. So I don't take any histamines. I don't take any allergy medicine. I don't take anything internally medicinally from modern medicine. So I'm not going to reach for anything for this except maybe some topical cream. But I'm thinking to myself, I have a choice here. I can be driven absolutely mad by these three little itchy bites on my left calf, or I can sit with it and I can breathe and I can feel that itch and I can feel that discomfort and I can recognize it as my body's way of repairing and healing itself. That itch is to let me know that I'm alive. That bright red lumpy response to let me know my body is working towards healing immediately and then you sit with that I sat with that and said there's something exquisite about an itch you refuse to scratch and having that mental power over that response you could look at it as enlightenment through mosquito biting mosquitoes biting you right I mean that's that's brilliant, right? And and it's 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 simple, but it's such a tangible. Like we as Westerners, right? We want to be able to do something, yeah. Right? Like what I, I want, you know, you go to the Buddha. Well, what can I do, right? And, and you know, that's, that's not it, right? That's why we struggle with meditation because we're like, well, what am I supposed to be doing? But what do you right. do? How do you get there? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> you sit and you breathe. But you could also stand or walk or whatever. <laughs> I don't get it. What am I doing? Right. And, and it's, and it's the, um, but even the context, like even setting the context and the, and, and the awareness of it, this is in fact, I think, and, and one of the reasons why I keep coming back to it and I'm so fascinated by what you're doing. And I think it has such huge potential for people who are seeking that, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I want to go on the quest. Where can I go? Like, what can I do? Right. And, and, you mentioned it at the introduction um, where there's this confrontation with fear mm-hmm. and, and the conference and, and adversity building character or adversity as the touchstone, you know, growth through discomfort, growth through discomfort. There yeah. it is. Right. And we need to come up with the Latin insignia for that and, you know, mint a coin with it. Right. But it's a very stoic. Probably there. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> they sure. probably already say it. I just right. stole it in English or something. But that's, but that's it. Right. Um, it, it's a Spartan, maybe worldview. Um, but here's a very tangible thing that you can do, right? And you will be intensely uncomfortable for about three minutes. I was intensely uncomfortable for about three minutes. And if, and I think if it wasn't for your presence, um, and again, the, the, the grounded stillness that you brought to the moment, right? And your commitment to being there with the person who's having the experience it would have been too difficult for me, I think. And so I really appreciated that. There's a, there was a, there's like a soul moment there, right? Where you're 
shepherding or stewarding or whatever, you know, I'm sure you use the, you use a, an appropriate technical term for it, right? That's, that's more accurate, but guiding me and, and, and helping me get through that. And then it's like, oh, wow, I can do that. Right. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the same way that kids get scared, you're not climbing the thing for them. Right. You're not in the bath for me. Mm-hmm. Right. But you're helping me get through the experience. And so if it, if you were, for example, distracted and on your phone while I was sitting there uh, <laughs> for the first time, I probably would have also, you know, just, just I can't I can't do it. Mm-hmm. But it meant a lot to me to be able to do it. And then the feeling of accomplishment afterwards was 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 cool, right? I mean, not to virtue signal or humble brag. It was a big deal for me. It was right? a big deal. And and so again, it's funny, like everybody seeks different thrills, but you could say the same thing of someone who climbed a mountain, right? Like so I, I don't get it. So you, you like to just, you know, cling to a rock and then just continue to climb it? Why? Well, don't you just come back down right afterwards? Well, yeah. What, don't your fingers bleed and, and, you know, isn't it dangerous? Yeah, yeah. Well, here was something that, you know, an IT person like me without rigorous physical training or preparation or nothing but just the commitment to being uncomfortable. And the thing about the sensation of it was that it wasn't even like it's not like a mosquito bite, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a unique physical sensation. I I didn't feel cold so much as just yeah I, I sorry because you know you told me you, one of your mantras is this is what cold feels like and and i get it that it's cold but i wouldn't put it in the same category i've never been that cold right 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 um yeah it can feel like tiny little rubber bands snapping your skin i guess it can feel like doing crunches when you've never done a single sit up but I almost feel like that doesn't, it Touch didn't it matter. Like it was, it, that was outside of the context. The mm-hmm. second time I was thinking like, oh wait, what does that feel like? Oh, right? The fir- you couldn't even wrap your head around the physical sensation the first time. Yeah, it was, it, I, I wasn't cold. I mean, it was more of like a color thing or something like that, right? Like it, I don't categorize it in the same way as like I'm cold right now. In fact, since doing it, when I get cold, I'm like, that's not cold. I'm not actually that cold, right? That's the other thing um, that I think is profound about the experience and, and, and what you're offering is that we live very safe, very comfortable lives here in Arizona in 2019 as, you know, um, at, in, with our identity politics and our socioeconomic position and so on. I mean, compared to what the other 8 billion people in the world are exposed to, we lead very comfortable lives. And yet I think that everyone I've ever met still has the worst thing that's happened to them and the best thing that's happened to them. Right. And so we will have the whole range of human experience. And you can see this in the mall where someone is, you know, calling to their maker. Oh my God. Like, I can't believe this thing happened. And it is a trivial, easily solvable quotidian thing that has now become the center of their life and they will share that person cutting them off in the freeway or not getting this object that they wish to purchase and that will become the focal point of their story and they will share that as their story and this was the big thing that happened to me today and it's like not a thing Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and it's embarrassing because sometimes when you meet somebody who has actually had some real adversity 
and I'm presenting my problem of the day, which was my internet connection was spotty. And so I had trouble getting to conference calls at work. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, and they don't say it, but like you find out later, like their kid died in a car accident. So what do you know about anything? Yeah. And, and so not to ramble, and I hope this, this is makes sense to people <laughs> listening at home in the future. I'm not a experienced podcast guest. Um, it's all relative, right? Your, your, your sense, my sense of joy, my sense of fear, my sense of pain is relative to what I've experienced. And this is so far out of that spectrum for me that by comparison, it's turned down the volume on all of the other stuff that happens. And, and I don't know if anybody's made a reference to Fight Club. Have you seen Fight Club? Of course I've seen and read the book Fight Club. I like the book also. Um, and, and I guess, you know, my question to you is, do you see a parallel between the perceived benefits of Fight Club, right? And, and we're not going to talk about it, but like maybe we will, right? You're not supposed to talk about it. Yeah. But, but the perceived benefits of Fight Club where the guy's talking about how he, he's got this uh, almost montage after he did it. And he's like, after you do Fight Club, you know, like everything is turned down and the people are all just doing their little shit and you know you're a badass you know or something like something to that effect right ed norton is carrying on about like the benefits of of having that fight or flight confrontation with peers and having that be a bonding experience for him it's a catharsis there you go it's a catharsis because when we can put ourselves in dangerous high dangerous situations designed to enact that with inside of us designed to enact fight or flight specifically fight flight or freeze response and then we breathe through it or we overcome it or we survive it it makes us feel larger than life it makes us feel an invincible type of way that we don't always get to face a lot of the times we're faced with our mortality a lot of times we're faced with our fragility a lot of times we're faced with the things that are difficult for us to overcome so when you can look at something as absolutely as insane as choosing to get in a fist fight or choosing to sit in 32 degree water or choosing to go mountain climbing with nothing but some carabiners and some rope, you are choosing fear. You're choosing to face fear and you're choosing to overcome fear. And when you have overcome real fear, that real active response. And so when you say how I'm, when you say how I'm grounded, and I'm guiding you, I'm holding space for your trauma. I'm holding space for a controlled environment of trauma for you so that you can get as absolutely uncomfortable as possible and then overcome that discomfort to then feel that catharsis. And because we're, you know, because we're actually a, a squishy battery of consciousness, right? And the brain doesn't necessarily distinguish between all of those things. That experience then cascades back into, into my trauma that I didn't choose. Yes. Trauma that I can't go back and re-experience in a safe place. Right. Right. And, and, and it has that healing effect. And I absolutely, I mean, it's just, it's, that's why you said it's, that's why I said it's profound and that's why you said it's profound, right? <laughs> and scientifically, it does smooth over hardwired pathways of trauma in the brain. And then you're building thousands of new ones from a place of meditative calm. So even though you've done it, even if you're a person who's only ever done it once, 
you will be a different person. You are a changed person for having done it. When you're someone who does it as a regular practice or you're someone who does it frequently, you are training your brain to do that in life. So I sit before you when I met you at Burning Man, a grounded person, but that was a culmination of a year of work of really honestly 38 years of work, but I'd been living my first 36 years in a state of trauma and I did not know that. I was living my first 36 years in a constant heightened state of warrior mode, fighter mode, constant fight or flight, constant defensiveness. No wonder I got sick. No wonder I got sick because I was pumping, my brain was pumping my body full of adrenaline and cortisol and I was wiped. So when I discovered cold water immersion and I started practicing this regularly, emotional regulation started to happen for me. And this was something that I thought was beyond me. I thought this was completely beyond my grasp, emotional regulation. Now, I'm not saying I don't have slip-ups. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm 100% emotionally regulated today. But the person I was a year ago to the person I'm sitting before you today, they're two different people. They're two different sides of a coin. I am grounded in front of you today because of my experience in the cold and because of the catharsis the cold has brought me and then shows me about what is actually important in life, what is worth putting my energy into response for. Mic drop. It's not where I started in my practice. (laughs) No. And there have been times, and this is probably about a year ago now, quite specifically, there was this one time I was in a complete state of emotional dysregulation, tears streaming down. I'd been crying for over an hour, at least probably more. I couldn't form a thought. I couldn't form a sentence. I didn't even know what I was upset about. I was just really upset. And I was sitting on my back patio and thank God I have this device at the ready at all times. I stripped down. I walked over. I sat in the cold and I didn't move for about three or four minutes. And when I got out, I couldn't remember what it was I was upset about, but I didn't care. I was no longer upset. I got that boost of dopamine. I got that boost of norepinephrine. And I realized, what is important? Is it important to figure out where the problem started? Or is it just important to give yourself compassion and give yourself love and kindness and understanding and hold that space So that the next time you go through an emotional trauma or emotional process or any type of emotional dysregulation, you can start with compassion. So that's, that's a little, um, above my pay grade because, you know, the experience you're describing, um, is one that I, I, I find amazing, right? Like, I mean, that's very inspiring. And, um, and from what little you've told me of your story and having overcome, physical adversity and a whole bunch of other background issues. And for you to be where you are today, obviously you see that as a success or you wouldn't be on your mission, right? Right. And speaking to whoever listens, anyone who will listen about it. Um, I want to pivot a little bit and take it to a lighter place. If you're cool with that and, and, and ask when kids reach those teen years, I want to ask, why do we call it being cool? And, What is it about emotional regulation that's sought after, right? In warriors that's sought after, in leaders that's sought after, uh, a much sought after quality, right? 
And when you think about, or when I think about and have reflected on what it means to be cool, there's there's the feigned coolness of emotional indifference. Right? Right. Someone is indifferent or not moved. Oh, we got this test tomorrow. No, I don't care. Don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I you like know, how we both get... dropped our voices like several octaves just to be like, no big deal. Right. <laughs> got this. Um, you know, you're going to get in trouble. Like, you know, you think about the transgressive behavior of adolescence, right? right. And like that, that urge to define yourself in opposition or even in indifference to to society's norms or whatever, because mm-hmm. that's how you find yourself. And that's almost like this. And we we miss that, I think, in like U.S. culture, right? You either get into drugs or sports or music, right? Or, or, or whatever it is. But we don't have a coming of age ritual where you go and, you know, go and the 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 fabled again you know referenced in movies like 300 or or the or the canonical tale of go you know kill the buffalo that right of passage the, correct right and and that's an ancient uh meta story right um you know echoed in the hero's journey or whatever right that you will discover yourself when you go and face adversity alone in return yes and that that is how you will know that you have separated yourself from the child to the you know, from Adult. the boy to the man, yeah. from the girl to the woman, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so, I, so, so I think it's funny that when you talk about we we talk about being cool, and and we talk about having that is just like, oh, so you want to get cooler, like, you know, like take take the plunge, right? <laughs> and 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 I just think there's something to that, right? That it's it's intuitively connected. And this is, of course, we're talking about an extreme and seriously taken, if we take it seriously, like this has, you know, real medical benefits to people and so on. Yeah. But if you're wondering whether, you know, you're a badass or not, right? Like how I think about my journey and my journey involved uh, being a bike courier in New York. And that was how I proved to myself that I was a badass. Yeah, that, yeah. I, I hit by a bus and then decided I was not that badass. But like, but there was a level of adversity to the work, right? Mm-hmm. Get up, get on a bike, bike 45 miles a day. You don't make a lot of money. You're in traffic. It's dangerous that I was able to say, okay, I know where I stack up. Yeah. Um, But still, you know, driven by a thousand forms of fear and being very much a person who is living, waiting for the shoe to drop the result of genetic legacy and childhood trauma. We could talk about that stuff if you want to go there. Uh, I don't know how, how open I want to be for on a first and last name basis with the internet, but, but generally speaking, um, we all like inherit some stuff and then some stuff happens to us. Mm -hmm. And then we, and then, I wrestle with doubt. I wrestle about my capabilities. And one of the ways that I was able to get over it in a way was just to stop thinking about my own value and constantly self-evaluating myself. Mm-hmm. Something I talk to my daughter about a lot, right? But but in my peer in my peer group, I often reference that it on any given day you're going to be better than Hitler and worse than Gandhi. And so the constant self-judgment or evaluation or of, measuring of success of yourself is you can just move the goalpost. So you can move the goalpost and be better than someone else, or you can move the goalpost and be worse than, than somebody else, right? In either case, you're making a crappy comparison. You should probably compare yourself to yourself. Yeah, right? and even and, and don't compare not... yourself to compare it to yourself because our growth isn't linear. <laughs> right, and at that moment, you just remove the equation. Right. But nonetheless, even though on an intellectual level I understand that, 
physically, I'm still going to come to the situation with my experience and my baggage and whatever I have. So I can't think my way into right thinking, right? And that's that's used in recovery circles in, in a certain way. That, that it's it's not like like when you tell somebody who's depressed to cheer up, right? You know, if they could, they would. They would, yeah. And so most of the of the profound change comes through some action. Now it takes some thinking to go find the right action and then go do the action and then check the results and see whether it worked or not. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, if we're talking about you know, taking the plunge or, or, or doing these th- th- these activities, like, again, like, it'll make you cooler. We believe, with Marotsko Forge, we believe that the reason the cold water fixes everything is because the first thing it fixes is your mind. The first thing that the cold water changes and works on is your thinking. It's a vagal nerve reset but by empowering you through those minutes, by empowering you through that breath of breathing through fight or flight, it's a um, it's a full mental reset. So if you feel stronger mentally, physically you're going to catch up to that. But the first thing you have to change is your mind. Yep. You have to start and end with the mind. And I think that's the goal for me now of the cold water immersion practice it's about the mind physically i know i can do it but i can also easily talk myself out of it well adrian you don't shiver when you get in anyways so you're good at it you're fine but no i still need that practice i still have to mentally put myself into cold today it was cold in arizona wow I mean, not, not too cold. I wore a sweater and, and slippies because I could, you know, not, not because I needed <laughs> to. to yes, we really do. And so when I, when I got into the cold today, I thought, well, the air is kind of chilly. No big deal. And then I got into the water and I thought, and I thought too, I thought, well, it's cold outside and, and I do all kinds of cold plunges and I don't really have to go today. Well, that's the same mental conversation I can have with myself about a workout. That's the same mental conversation I can have with myself about, am I going to chase my dreams today? That's the same mental conversation that I can have with myself of, am I going to get out of bed, take a shower, talk to people and be good, you know, or be happy or be whatever. So I got into the cold and I sat there for three and a half minutes. And then I was really grateful when I got out because I was like, well, I did it, but I did that. Yeah, I'm good at it. Yeah, I know I can do it, but I still did it. Does it, so I didn't think that, so how many times have, have you, do you think, have you lost count? Do you know how many times? Oh gosh, yeah, I've lost count because it's been two years and over the last year for sure I practice four to seven times a week and sometimes several times a day. So if I'm working in our shop in Phoenix summer, I'll go in 10 times a day. If I'm working in the yard in the Phoenix summer, I'll go in 10 times a day. So at least 400, 500. I mean, you know, yeah, a few hundred, I would say for sure. For sure. Is there, have you noticed if you were to graph the magnitude of the experience, do you think it's diminished at all? No, but it has changed. My very first ice bath Kubo was nine seconds. I hovered over the tub. I put my hands on each side and I put my feet on each side and I dropped my body in. And I held under the water and held my breath for nine seconds and I leapt out. And I still felt a profound change. I still felt empowered in a way that I hadn't in ever probably my life. 
And so I still wanted to do it again. Not that day, but I did want to do it again. And at that time, we were only doing it about once a week because we were still hauling 200 pounds of ice once a week to do it. And the ice, even in October, would last about an hour Mm. with four people plunging. And so it took months for me to develop my practice to keeping myself in the water past two minutes. That practice then prepared me for what I'm doing now, prepared me for now four, five, six, sometimes seven days a week and sometimes multiple times a day, knowing that that is good for me, knowing that that is still an active choice, knowing that I still have to tell myself and make myself do it because it is still cold. So I don't have the same physical reaction, but I'm still going through a deep mental process of sitting there and breathing through. And now it's different too, because I don't have shivers and hyperventilation to say, all right, it's time to get out, got to get out or do this or don't do that. I'm just aware of a clock. I'm aware of some minutes ticking by. I'm aware of the birds. I'm aware of a bell. I'm aware of the breeze. I'm aware of my breath. And I have to decide when it's time to get out. Obviously, if I stay in there too long, I will get uncontrollable shivers. Between three and five minutes seems to be a pretty good sweet spot for me. And the the reason I asked, right, was in in almost all mind altering experiences or you know substances, right, that we talk about, we're confronted by the hedonic treadmill, this diminishing returns on experience, and and when we think of you know something being a teacher, right, there's a new lesson each time, but but in the traditional sense, you know, the first piece of chocolate you eat is great. If you eat the rest of the bar, it's not going to be that much better, right? And like today when I eat chocolate, having been lucky enough to have chocolate since I was a child, <laughs> it's not it's not that big a deal, right? Um, yeah, speak for yourself there, Cuba. Okay. Speak for yourself. <laughs> right. And I, I, I'm, I'm trying to be With conscious chocolate. of my, of my chocolate, chocolate privilege. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think a little bit, um, you're referring to chasing the dragon. Sure. And it's another reference. Yeah. Yeah. Like where you're forever. I think this, this applies like in base jumping. Right. I was going to mention so base yeah. jumping, skydiving, mountain biking, climbing, all of the adrenaline a- junky stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And I wondered, and I wondered whether the research indicates that it's different or, or, and, and certainly as someone who's done it as much as you have, you mm-hmm. would notice by now, well, now I gotta, you know, the water's gotta be colder. Well, it can't get colder, so right. we're good there. Um, you know, uh, the, it, it, you know, I gotta stay in longer. Well, you can't stay in longer, right? And so, and so, that's what I'm curious about because I think that people will say, "Oh, well, that's great. I could do that once, but I bet you by the third time it gets boring." And no. and, I, and I can say, you know, I'll support you on this. Like it hasn't gotten boring. <laughs> My sample so- set is. Three or two and a half. But. So even if you even if you did compress it, and even if you were doing a regular practice, if you're doing something like I'm doing, here's why that return does not diminish. Because every time you get a boost of norepinephrine and dopamine, every time, every time your body still jumps into action for fight or flight, whether you hyperventilate or not, your body still jumps into action thinking, okay, we have to prepare the organs. We have to go to there. We got to do this. We got to do this so that you stay alive. So it's not even that. So even though the physical is changes is changed, the returns actually become greater 
Because there are times I can stay in longer than five minutes. And my business partner does stay in sometimes for 15 minutes. Like he stays in and just watches Southwest flights land in Tempe, Arizona from his balcony. And he can sometimes watch five or six and they only land once every five to seven minutes or something like that. So you can push don't, that don't, don't practice. Do that <laughs> you know. yeah. Don't do that at home. Yeah, kids, don't try this at home. Um, but you can build your practice. But no matter what, every time you practice, your body will produce physical results. The reason that doesn't work when we are using strictly adrenaline, so like if I were base jumping, you run out of that. Different system. Different system. Yeah. Whereas in the ice, you're producing it. And you're producing everything in cohesion and everything in balance. I think that's a really important point to address because I have had many novel experiences mm-hmm. that I can speak of. I've had many, you know, visceral physical experiences, right? It's like sweat lodge and stuff like that. But this this was markedly different. Now, the second time was at Convergence mm-hmm. just a couple of weeks ago, I think. Uh, and you were set up on a roof and it was colder. Yeah. There's a cold breeze. Sun was going down, right? It wasn't in the middle of the heat of the day in the, in the in North the desert. Nevada desert, <laughs> desert, right? With no air conditioning on like day four. Like that yeah. was cool. Uh, and that was a different experience because there was something to look at. Mm-hmm. And I had more of a, a more of a tangible sensory experience. And what stuck with me in the aftermath of it, besides just noticing i mean having a conscious noticing that i am just not the same person like you said i'm i just i'm an animated person but i'm not freaking out about anything i've maintained my sense of expressiveness and my excitement about things but i'm less concerned with the potentially disastrous outcomes i'm one of those people that pathologically reads climate change news and that's sort of my I get down on that, right? Mm-hmm. The, the disaster porn people, right? Yeah. And so shout out and shout out to our class. Yeah. But, um, I, I think, you know, my preoccupation with it is, is it, it's more about, okay, but I'm here and I'm now. And so one thing that's happened is my background level of stress and fear has gone down. And that's amazing. That's I'm, I'm not a person who's, I, I can't say that I've gotten off any medications and never been on any medications. Um, I can say that the other thing that's happened is that I've started to abstract sensations and notice them more often because it was such an extreme sensation. Like I said earlier, like I noticed that I was cold and I was able to just say, Oh yeah, that's not that cold. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but finding a, I don't know how to explain it. I I've, I've, and and I noticed this because you can't ignore it. It's such a powerful sensation that like it, it forces you to, to be with the sensation unless you want to disassociate. I, I don't know. I didn't Forces disassociate. The, the, the second time I was just keenly aware of the sensation. And afterwards, I was so attuned to that sense of what am I feeling that I've started to, instead of having the usual train of thought that I'm in, mm-hmm. I'm noticing just sensations more often, which is kind of cool. I mean, that's Do you that's have a, any like specific examples where it kind of where it kind of hit you and you're like, whoa, I just noticed that and I hadn't noticed that. Like well, right the, now, the temperatures can... changed over the last week. Yeah. Right, and so I've been more conscious of that. But it's it's hard to explain. They're they're really micro moments, right? Mm-hmm. They're micro moments. Um, but it's being the best way I could describe it is it's being lost in thought, but the thought is a physical sensation. 
Ooh. And so you can be lost in thought and just like, are you just thinking about something random? Like, you know, I'm going to cook some brownies later or something, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever it is that we get lost in thought about. Right. And I, I won't come up with too many more examples because yeah. none of y'all business, but I get, I get lost in thought, but I was lost in thought about, you know, what it felt like to be wearing socks right now or something like that. Right. And feeling the shoes on my feet. Whereas normally I'm, I'm an IT person, right? It's my career. Mm-hmm. I'm also an artist. I'm a visual artist. And so I live in my head, right? As a result of experiences in my childhood and all of that, I'm kind of one of those people that if you were to ask me to draw myself, it's a, it's a cockpit with a little person inside my head. And mm-hmm. then the rest of this is just this ungainly meat suit that I'm, that I'm working with, mm-hmm. right? Um, a lot of growth for me in my life has occurred when I've moved from being centered in my head to being centered in my heart. And there's a lot of good meditative practice that you can do that helps you actually be conscious of just how conscious your heart is, if that makes sense, and mm-hmm. becoming less of a head-centered person and more of a heart-centered person. Mm-hmm. Um, my heart speaks a different language, is interested in different things, and has and, and I don't mean you know carnal carnal pleasures. I, and I don't mean love in the romantic sense. I mean heart, heart chakra. Se- yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, and so as a result, as a consequence of having that much like, Hey, this is your body, right? Uh, I've just started to just be more body conscious, I guess. It's probably the wrong term because that's used for like, you, you know, have like physical awareness of your body in a way that you did not before. Hey, thanks. That's what I should have said. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> you are now present physically. More, more so, incrementally so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, but you're aware of your physical presence. You're aware of these are my hands. Mm-hmm. And you're aware of being more in the body and not so much in the head, in the mind. Yes. So you're able to now experience life from a more physical realm i don't even know how we're running out of words right yeah because it's like i'm more present i'm less you know it's like i feel my body man (laughs) right i feel my body and you know i've heard people say that before where they come out and they're like it's like nerves have come alive that have been dead or i'm just not monitoring those signals right stuff just wasn't important and now you have an awareness yeah and and what's neat uh, what's neat about that, right, is that it allows you to have a more uh, fulfilling present. I mean, these are all the buzzwords that we're looking for, right? It's 2019. What are people looking for? They're looking for connection. They're looking for connection with themselves. They're looking for connection. They're looking for healing, right? They're looking to be grounded. I mean, I'll just speak for myself. I don't know what everybody else is. Obviously, I mean, it sounds people are good to me. For, I'm in. Yeah, I'm like, I'll, I'll sign up. <laughs> but we're also looking for justice and a sustainable future and, mm-hmm. and equality and, and real change and, and all of those other things. Mm-hmm. And you know, if we talk about how change begins from within, mm-hmm. right? And we talk about how, I mean, I, I recognized as a, as a, you know, uh, as a white male, right? That all of my campaigning for justice out in the world and my opinions are, are um, enough. Mm-hmm. And that I should probably focus on my own practice at a grassroots level, at an individual level and clean up my room before I talk to people about what they should be doing with their lives. Well, don't right? should yourself to death. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't, we think should's a dirty word around here. Right. And so what I've been doing is engaging in the active practice of working on me instead of telling you what you should do. Yeah. And, and, and offering more unsolicited advice. So the experience for me has been profound. I will continue to do it. Um, we're about to go 
We're about to go again. take a plunge too. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and I'm just so grateful that I have that opportunity because there are so few people who just happen to like fall into this, right? And I hope that if this message reaches you and you're on the fence about it, the worst thing that happens is you get in and you get real cold and you get out. Mm-hmm. And that's still a good thing. Yeah. Um but the potential for me was was profound. And and I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not special. I I and and I wish that I could share this with there are so many people in my life. And and actually, can we can we just to close, the thing that that strikes me is how many people I've shared my experience with and they just focused on like the well, I would never want to do that. And in their minds, they're imagining what it would be like to do it. And I guess maybe because of the way I was introduced to it, I didn't it didn't even occur to me that you right, wouldn't try it. That that this isn't something that I would do. Like I'm so down like to go and be uncomfortable if the payoff is X, Y, or Z. And everybody seemed kind of focused on like not why would you want to? In other words, convince me why I should. Mm-hmm. They just got caught up in the like, well, I don't like cold, so I'm not going to get in cold water. And I guess means and ends, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what do you – means and ends. It's a lot <laughs> different if you can't picture it, right? And so you when think? you talk – yeah, when you talk about taking an ice bath, like me in my head even now knowing what I know, I think of a whole bunch of ice in a bath. And I think, well, that doesn't sound fun. No, it sounds terrible. That sounds – uncomfortable that sounds cold i don't like cold i hate cold well kuba we know what that feels like Mm -hmm. you didn't have to think about it you just showed up right and that's kind of and you showed up to an experience you showed up to an environment you showed up to a cocoon in a safe space led by someone you trust put in front of someone who is calm and grounded bingo So when we share this experience with others, and this is sometimes my greatest challenge sharing my sensory events, well, I'd love to tell you what it's like, but I can't because even though I provide the same elements every time, the experience is vastly different. People's takeaway is vastly different. The group dynamic is vastly different and it changes the entire experience. Sure. It's like describing to somebody what it would be like to be at a concert or like, you know, you, you tell them what you did and they're like, oh, you mean like if I got in my own fridge and shut the door? And it's like, no, not not at all. No. Or, right. uh, you know, I mean, I mean, any number of things of like trying to describe what a brownie tastes like to someone who can't have chocolate. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I don't like know. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to be for you because you have to do it. All I know is that I had to get really fed up with myself before I was ready to give something like that a try. I think I was in a place, I mean, I set an intention to go to Burning Man. Again, like I said, it was a milestone for me in terms of a a long-term goal that I had achieved without really external contracts. So something I deeply believed in and wanted to do. The Mm -hmm. opportunity presented itself organically. Um, but I was, but my intention for the burn, because it was suggested that I set an intention and I think about what it is that I'm looking for, I wanted to shed layers of fear. Mm-hmm. And so for me to have walked away from that experience and having, like, I left so much behind in that tub. 
Yeah. Right. Um. And I think that's that's amazing. I didn't forget it. No. It didn't. I didn't um, disassociate from it. You let it go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's and that's what I want to invite folks right like this isn't i'm not being paid to do this or anything like that it's just like hey if you've got some shit that you want to let go or if you're wrestling with your mind all the time and you need a reset and you're not allowed to do certain things to reset your mind or other things you've done may be harmful or illegal or uh or maybe you don't want the band-aids of modern medicine that only come with other side effects and symptoms well it's a band-aid right it's a subscription model Mm -hmm. it's an unsustainable subscription model in my opinion Mm -hmm. um but i'm you know i'm qualified um then then this was a profound experience that you know um, what do you have to lose you will be warm again. I, yeah. I, will, I will say that, that within, within 10 minutes of being in out, it was fine, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and in fact, I, I felt super warm ever since. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is part of the beauty of the practice. Um, so you guys, just for fun today, I want to recommend that our, our book of the week is going to be Fight Club. Chuck Palahniuk. Go ahead and get your head hold, self a hold of that. And the movie is great. Like, seriously, watch the movie, but read the book. There are a lot of connotations in the book that go a little deeper than the meaning behind the movie. Explains a little bit of the context that people don't always see when they're staring at the screen. So pick up a book. If you need a good one, Fight Club. Chuck Palahniuk. Recipe of the week. Let's just get this out of the way. Um, keto mousse. You guys, I know I do a lot of these keto recipes, but just bear with me here. I crave some dessert. I crave chocolate. I crave sugar. I crave all that. No matter how long I go without it, I don't ever stop thinking about it. It is a deep addiction and love affair. But uh, chocolate is my jam. And I have found a way to introduce it back into my life in a beautiful way. So here it is, folks. Uh, One cup of heavy whipping cream. Go for the gold here, people. Get yourself that grass fed. Go to your butcher. Get it straight out of the cow if you got it. I don't know how they do it. And they make it heavy and it's delicious. And you know where it came from. But like, make sure you get the good shit. So start with the heavy cream. And whip that up real, real good. Make sure you got like a cold bowl and a good blender and you're ready to go. Whip that up. Add like, seriously, all it takes is a couple of scoops of cocoa powder. Get the good stuff, people. If you're going for your good ingredients and you look at that ingredient listing, it should have one ingredient. One. One ingredient. Remember last week's challenge? Five ingredients or less. One one ingredient. If you know that that one ingredient is, you can pronounce it. You know where it came from. You know it was grown, not made then you're doing all right. So you got your keto, uh, heavy whipping cream going, add your couple of scoops of cocoa powder. And then all you need from there is a dash of vanilla. Do I have to tell you that it has to be real stuff? Go for real stuff. I'm not talking about vanilla flavor. I'm not talking about the McCormick red cap stuff. I'm talking about get yourself some real freaking vanilla people. Add a little dash of that vanilla. You can add cinnamon if you like. I like cinnamon. Go ahead and do that. We're getting into the fall. It feels real good. And then from here, you have options. You can do stevia for your sweetener, which is not my favorite, but it does come from a leaf. So, okay, so you got you got me there. It comes from a leaf. Um, or if you're not afraid of it, do a little dash of honey. Whip that up. Put it in the fridge for 30 minutes. After that, don't even grab a, don't even grab a bowl. Just grab a spoon and uh, chocolate keto mousse for the win. So that's our recipe this week. And our challenge 
this week. This week, uh, I'm going to ask Koopa for his recommendation on a challenge for the week. If you wanted to challenge yourself for a week or if you wanted to challenge a friend for a week, what type of challenge would you suggest that someone try? Get out there. Give it a try. Don't hesitate. Upon awakening, set a timer for two minutes and just sit. Ooh. And don't don't clear your mind. Don't do anything. Just sit and don't and try not to get up for those two minutes. I like that. And if you can do that, then like do three minutes and so on. And then before you know it, you have a sustainable mindfulness practice. That's time just for you and being not a victim of your thoughts, but just an observer. It's pretty great. Oh my gosh, that is a great challenge. I'm going to do that challenge. I'm going to let you guys know what that's like next week. And I encourage you to do the same. You can reach out to me at the I take it in stride at gmail.com. You can listen to take it in stride podcast on most platforms. Most of your listening platforms. You can find me on Instagram at at Adrian underscore Jezik. You can find me on Facebook at Adrian Jezik, the Marotsko method or Marotsko forge. Kuba, is there anywhere you'd like us to find you or would you like to fade into the distance? Uh, both. Um, <laughs> I, I think uh, you can take a look at my visual art at dublux.com. That's D-U-B-L-U-X.com. I'm on Instagram at Dubious Luxury. And you can find me on Facebook, but probably just look for Dubious Luxury. You'll connect with me there. Great. Thank you. This has been an, an amazing uh, conversation. I really appreciate the time. Thank you. And I'm so glad that we were finally able to unpack these experiences because we have them together. You guys are going through the cold as I'm coaching, but I have such a profound and deep connection to the people who are going through these experiences, to the people that I'm sharing this experience with. So I appreciate you coming here today and not only unpacking that, but unpacking with a level of vulnerability that allows you to share it. So thank you, Kuba. Thank you. All right, you guys stay cool out there.